Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. I think that every person we've interviewed on the podcast has mentioned talent as a key issue facing Austin, as it quickly ramps up its innovation ecosystem. And a big part of that is developing mid-level managers that can make decisions and propel businesses forward. Today, we're joined by someone who's in the midst of that process. Bjorn Bilhart is CEO of Ability. The company develops emerging business leaders with team-based business simulations, global facilitators, and seasoned implementation teams. Ability's leadership programs have educated over 20,000 learners across the world, including high-potential employees at companies like GE, Southwest Air, Pfizer, Marriott, and Coca-Cola. Before founding Ability in 2015, Bjorn worked as a consultant and corporate trainer for Bonn, the Dutch software company, and McKinsey, the management consulting firm. He holds a BA from the University of Texas at Austin and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Bjorn lives in Austin with his wife and three young boys. A native of Hamburg, Germany, he came to the United States as an exchange student in high school. Bjorn, welcome to the Austin X Show. Thank you for having me. So let's start off. Can you take a moment and describe Ability? Yeah, we are a corporate leadership development company, and our flagship is a, is a 12-week mini MBA uh, called the Invited MBA. Uh, and we are, um, our, our, our vision is a better educated world with more equitable access to opportunity. And the, the idea is really to educate people in, in a way that, uh, you know, it's not being served by the traditional business schools these days. So one of the things, and as you said, the the gap where traditional business schools, you know, Texas has a number of two-year and four-year colleges, almost 90 in the state. How does Ability kind of fit into the higher ed matrix and ecosystem? Yeah, we, we are not out to um, replace any of the two or four-year colleges. We're really, um, our market is after you've graduated from college and you're wondering, you know, should I get an advanced degree? Should I get an MBA? Um, you know, the question that people have is, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing well in business, you know, maybe, or, you know, maybe in a, in a career where you're, you're growing, you, uh, you know, you, or you may not be in, in, a, in a business career, you may have a, you know, you, you may be um, in, in, in nursing or, in, uh, you know, in other areas. And you're like, well, if I, if I just take this two year MBA, then my career will accelerate, but it's, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Do I take it? And so we want to provide an alternative to that. So where do you tend to see, you know, you kind of started with the people who are entering the uh, the program, what kind of roles and opportunities do they end up graduating into? Yeah, so so it's so what we offer is um, is a mini MBA. Um, it is an accelerated program. Um, you know, it is it is not, uh, you know, the, the value proposition is very different. You know, it's, it's, it's less than $2,000. So it's, it's really kind of a booster shot, if you will, um, uh, you know, that allows people to understand um, what they need to know to become a leader in the business world. And, um, and what we found is that, um, you know, a lot of people are using our program and, and our, our mini MBA to either get an internal promotion. So we've had a ton of people that have been promoted internally and that have been promoted to, to managerial position to, you know, sometimes kind of a business leader position, or they're, they're looking uh, 
added to kind of uh, create a signal to future employers that hey, I'm I'm interested in more. You know, I may be um, a full time programmer or a full time you know content writer uh, in marketing, but I'm ready to take a business leadership role. And oftentimes, you know, the right now you have to sort of go through this two year curriculum just to signal to employers that you're ready for that, right? And um, we are kind of that alternative, the, the, you know, the, the more cost-effective and time-effective alternative. So we've seen people, um, you know, obviously switch shops. We've seen actually, we have um, this mentor program and um, we have these um, advisors and we actually have seen someone take a job with one, right? And so, you know, you network, you get to know people. Um, and we are um, an Austin-based program. So, um, you know, while it is now virtual and, and it's, you know, kind of, we have people uh, dialing in from, from uh, all over the world, we are very Austin centric still. And so, you know, our happy hours are all organized in Austin. And, and so you really do get to become part of this network and community um, when you go through our experience. And so that's one of the great things that we've kind of noticed about Austin. I think it separates it from other innovation ecosystems is the diversity and uh, of types of jobs and the ability to really create and support middle-class jobs. You have, you know, the traditional high-end kind of tech, tech workers and programmers, you have high-end manufacturing at the Tesla plant, at Samsung. Uh, you know, we're hearing about Ford possibly coming here and all of the support structures that go with that. Then, you know, at the same time, we hear Amazon, uh, you know, and Pflugerville is hiring lots of people. So plenty of uh, opportunities and plenty of um, across the spectrum. At the same time, in almost every single episode we've talked to, talent is being identified as the biggest challenge. How do you see the driver between that juxtaposition? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I've been in Austin for a long time. Um, I, I got here in, in 1990 as an exchange student in high school. And, um, and uh, so I, I've seen the, the city grow substantially. And I remember, you know, uh, in, um, in, in 2001, when I started my first company coming uh, uh, straight out of, um, out of school, uh, you know, back then there was this, uh, this big question mark as to whether Austin would be able to grow and the biggest need that people always identify, and we have, you know, unlike, unlike the coast, right, where, the, where you're constrained by water, and I think we have all the real estate in the world, we have all the sunshine in the world, we have all of the, you know, natural resources in the world. And, but the question in 2001, when I came, was always like, how in the world are we going to become a world-class city? Because, you know, we're this little itty-bitty town that no one knows about. And, and, the, and, and we have all these incredibly creative people, all these artists, musicians, but if we want to become a real city, quote unquote, we have to, you know, kind of have a whole nother level of talent that we can't attract right now. It's interesting that the question is coming up now, 20 years later, because I feel like actually we have grown as a city so much over the last 20 years. It's, 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 it's just a, an unbelievable difference already. And yet there's still this talent shortage, right? And it's still kind of this need for, highly talented people, you know, because we, we live in a knowledge economy. Austin is, uh, Austin is, is a um, place that is, you know, thriving on knowledge work, right? And so we have to, um, we have to figure out um, if we want to grow the city even further, how to attract even more people. And I think that is especially important in terms of managerial talent and, and executive talent. Oftentimes what I've heard is that, you know, there's, all of the sort of hardworking talent at the um, you know at the level of the individual contributor here in Austin, you know, um, 
a lot of incredibly creative people, a lot of incredibly highly motivated people, but there is a lack of sort of leadership positions. And so the uh, more senior level people that, you know, can easily find another job, let's say, in, you know, in New York or San Francisco or even Dallas for that matter, are reluctant to move to Austin uh, because, you know, what, what happens if it doesn't work out? What other opportunities are there for me? Now, I will say this. I think the pandemic will do absolute wonders for this city in the long term. I know it's a horrible thing that, that, is, that is happening uh, still uh, right now. Um, you know, even, even as this podcast airs, I, my guess is there's still a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of heartbreak happening. But over the long run, I think as we rethink how we are going to work um, as, as executive teams, my gut says that Austin will become really, really attractive um, as, the, as a destination for more senior level talent. But right now, I agree, there's still a, a shortage of, of talent, honestly, at, at all levels. So when we think about that kind of where we are in terms of getting the talent that we need, and we're, you're saying a lot of the, the executive talent, is it, are we looking at a, a scale issue? Like we just need, you know, 10 times as many people here to be having this talent or is it we're you know there's specific skill sets that we're looking at also um you know if you break it down by you know is it you talk about knowledge work right is it we need more data science we need more factory workers like what is what are we thinking about in terms of skill sets versus you know we don't need the skill sets we just need 10x the number of people in this particular area right just bring us people yeah i mean i guess that's where i i i I think we are entering with, with, you know, kind of sort of the post-COVID world, you know, really a, 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 different, a, a different mindset that I, I've seen shifted, you know, where, um, you know, previously it was like, well, we, we, we need to get everyone, um, you know, into Austin. And now the question is more, how do we make people collaborate, even if you have to do it online, which I think makes the question of why Austin a very different one. Because now all of a sudden, Austin is becoming, I, or, or my, my hypothesis is, is becoming more a destination of, of choice for people as, as they think, well, I can, you know, I can work for my company that's, in, you know, where everyone's in San Francisco, I can work remotely and I can live in this amazing city that, you know, has everything to offer. And so I, my, my gut says that what we're going to be experiencing is probably an even greater influx of people from the coast. I mean, we're already seeing that in spades, right? Where they may not actually be working for an Austin employer, or they may start a satellite office here, right? And they may, you know, go into a co-working space and, and you know, get, get their team, um, build out their team here, even if they're the headquarters is somewhere else. So my, my gut says the next 10 years are probably going to accelerate Austin's growth even more. And I think, the, the challenge still remains, you know, it, it remains for us as a, as, a, as a company. We have five, six open positions right now that we would want to fill immediately if we can find the right person. We're looking primarily in Austin because that's where we're based and that's where we have, you know, our, um, our core staff. But we're also now starting to look around the country and around the world, honestly, uh, to see how we can augment and, and grow our team. Um, but it, I think it is the... the the time of the great resignation, I guess. And, um, and, and people are reevaluating their career options and their life choices in, in numbers like we've never seen before. 
So I know this podcast will air a little bit after we are recording it. So I'm going to have to project where we, where we will be in January, 2022. But my, my guess is um, that trend of people stepping away from the grind, thinking about what they want to do next in life is going to accelerate. And what that means for the talent shortage, especially in a boom town like Austin, is it's going to be, make it even, um, even harder for even great employers to attract the right employees. So how far that will go, I don't know. But it, it's, a, it's, a, I mean, it's a wonderful trend, I would say, for both employees who now have a lot more choices available. But I also think it's a wonderful development for a town like Austin, which has which, as we all know, that that you know, all of us that, that live here and, and and love the city, like we all know, has so much to offer. Um, but when there were previously, you know, a lot of constraints that um, that people had to work around in order to make the decision to come to the city. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, one of the other hats that I wear uh, is I run strategy and business development for a life science company, not in Austin and not in Texas. So I am one of the remote workers. Uh, that kind of, you know, wants to be based here and be part of the ecosystem. And it has lots of opportunities, this podcast, uh, you know, angel investments and things of that nature. So I totally understand. And it becomes interesting of how do we, how does that remote work become a positive force for us in that, in the kind of the talent pool? Because you have, as you said, people kind of coming here for lots of different reasons, not necessarily just job number one, two, or three, right? I think that's going to be the trend. And and that's what, we, what makes me really bullish about even the future growth of Austin, right? Because now people have a lot more choices on where to make, where to live, uh, not, you know, not just where to make a living. And, you know, because of what Austin has to offer compared to, you know, even other great cities, um, you know, I, I feel like there's... Um, and even bigger, you know, Austin has already been a boom town for the last 20 years, but I think that's only going to accelerate. Yeah. It's interesting because clearly you've talked about your talent shortage of the five or six positions you're trying to fill. We have these gaps. Now we have these needs. Now what's the, what would you suggest to a company when you talk to them about ability, how do you suggest they balance between educating their existing talent pool, reskilling that talent pool, recruiting for the new talent pool, and even bringing in people, you know, whether it's remotely or in person, getting them to migrate to Austin. What's that balance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, partly what we have uh, done at, at Ability, you know, since we started in 2015, and and um, you know, especially with when we started the invited MBA um, uh, two years ago, uh, you know what we what we really saw was this incredible need um, based on the talent shortage that will only continue to grow. Th this incredible need for companies to upskill the existing employees that they have to the degree that allows them to become leaders in the company. Because you know there is no way that a company can uh, you know just simply hire their way to success a lot of times as you grow in a company the, the the most successful companies when you when you look at the resumes of the executives they had been there from the beginning and they had been there in low-level roles and they've risen through the ranks the the reason why that i think is is important is you know companies are living organisms and you can have a you know perfect 
perfect resume for a VP of marketing if that person doesn't fully understand the the company and the company culture and then you know that all all of that experience is is doesn't matter and so a lot of times um, growing talent from within has proven to be the best strategy for companies that are that are truly uh, you know kind of ex accelerating the growth you know we look at Michael Bell and the people that had that have made Bell successful you know they started in the warehouse and then they became executives um, and so. And, and, and the problem there, and then this is sort of the problem that we're trying to solve at Ability and that we're trying to solve with our invited MBA is it, it takes, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to get the leadership skills, to get the business acumen skills uh, embedded um, so that those people that, you know, used to be, you know, forklift operators can now become managers and read a P&L, right? These are not easy skills to upgrade, if you will. And um, and traditionally, you know, the options have been somewhat limited, right? You know, you go to a two-year MBA, which basically takes people out of their job. Um, and so, our our mission really is to create convenient options, um, part-time options. You know, the invited MBA is a part-time program. It you know, it, it, you can do it during the workday, but we also have an option to do it after the workday. And so, what what allows for that to to, to do is it allows for people to to upskill in new ways using technology, right? And using what we have, um, you know, what, what we are now all familiar with in terms of, you know, Zoom and, 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 and online uh, learning um, and, and using those tools, I think is gonna be the only way that we can get enough people to the level that we need to get them to because the companies are not gonna be able to uh, you know, higher their way to success. You're going to have to up-level people to 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 those leadership roles. Yeah, let me let me put a bit of a contrarian hat on that for a second. In in a prior life, I used to run a fairly large division of a financial institution. I had a couple hundred people working for me, and my argument with my leadership was always about wanting to spend money on this upskilling. And the risk to the company, at least as they perceived it, was, well, they're just going to leave. If we, if we help them upskill, they're going to leave. Now, we, the, the weirdest term that has become very common now is the great resignation. I've seen surveys that talk about 25, 35, 40% of people in current jobs are looking to leave that current job. How do you face that kind of, of burden as, as a, you know, as an employer, as a manager, and how do you look at what ability does and, you know, the other por portions of the educational complex to, to mitigate that problem? Yeah, that's a, it's a great, great question. Um, and, uh, and, and of course the, the, the pat answer to your first question, the, the, the quote I always love is, you know, when, when people say, well, if I train them, then they will just use that knowledge and leave. And the, the, uh, the return question to that um, in, in our industry, of course, is, well, what if you don't train them and then they stay? You know, so that's the, uh, that's the, the kind of the, 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 the typical reply that, that, I, um, that I, I, I love and I know this is well, well known in our industry. But, uh, you know, but you are, but I think you are right and you're onto something really important, right? Um, you know, it is the great resignation and it is the, you know, as people are reevaluating what they want to do in life, I think what company will need to realize is that 
you know, sort of in, in many ways, we are now living in a world where every employee is their own entrepreneur. Every employee is, is their own boss, the boss of their own skills, the skills they bring to the table, the, you know, they, they, they may not have, um, you know, they may not have physical assets, but they have a lot of IP that is in their head. Right. And so I, I feel like, you know, the, 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 you know, traditional sort of path of, of our, of, of, of the, the history of, of, of business, I guess, over the last few decades, if I can go very expensive here, right, is, is, you know, there used to be this lifelong commitment, right? You know, so they got a marriage, right? You work, start with IBM, you retire from IBM. And that was, that was the marriage, right? And you chose an employer for that. And then employers abandoned that concept, right? Like, oh, I, we can't, we can't marry you forever. So, you know, um, but we still demand loyalty, right? And uh, which, which was kind of a raw deal for many employees, right? And so I think over the last, you know, and I don't think it's just been COVID. I think it's really been building over the last 10, 20 years. You know, employees have said, well, wait a second. If you're not, if you're not offering me a marriage contract, then I'm not married to you either, right? And so I think, um, and, and employees have then started to realize, well, hey, am I my own brand? I'm my own, you know, I, I provide skills. And I, I will say this, like, I think um, I have a, a good friend who is a movie producer in, in Hollywood. And um, he, he is of the opinion, and I, and I think it's an interesting opinion, is that, you know, where work is going to evolve to is kind of where the movie industry is right now, which is, which is really interesting, right? So in the movie industry, you don't have permanent employment, right? What you do is everyone has their skill set and they bring their skill set to a project, to a movie, and you sign a contract for that movie. And if you leave in the middle of a movie, that's a crappy move because you are, you know, kind of in the middle of, you know, creating something. But when the movie is done, there's a wrap party and everyone leaves and says their goodbyes. And then the next project starts and you start to assemble a, a crew again that is perfect for the job. And, you know, when I look at um, my, my wife used to work at Dell in many ways, you know, a company like Dell has already evolved to that, right? Where their projects, uh, you're on the project. And then, you know, when your, you know, kind of team gets dissolved or gets bought up by another company, Dell basically says, well, go find your next job within Dell. Like you're still fully employed. You got a few months to figure it out, but you got to find your next job. You know, you got to find your next gig within Dell. So I feel like, or, you know, you have to leave. And so that type of model of what the movie industry is doing is already starting to happen in large corporations. And, and so I think for employees, what that means is, is, you know, you have to really think about, you know, what, what are the core skills that I can bring to not just the company, but to each project that I'm working on. Um, and I think what it means, and, and, and then make sure that you get compensated well for the job that you're doing, right? Like that's, that's the employees, you know, kind of, if you're on your own boss, you gotta make sure you, you're compensated for it well. And then I think the employer's responsibility is to figure out how, how can I create the best possible environment for these projects to succeed. So I have a little bit of a contrarian view on, on the great resignation. I, I think it's kind of okay. And it's kind of a good thing, you know, for people to think of jobs a little bit more like movie projects, because what it does is it, it, it uplevels everyone to kind of take tackle new challenges, you know, it is less comfortable, right? And so there are a lot of people that don't, you know, they, they love the comfort of having a lifelong job. But I just, I think that's kind of the thing of the past anyway. And so if we're not going to be able as employers, to, if we're not going to be able to guarantee lifelong jobs anyway, 
then I think we all have to sort of take care of our own careers, you know, be our own entrepreneurial venture with the skills that we have. And it is a great resignation, is no question. But that also means there's great opportunity for companies that have something to offer to offer jobs to, to new people. So we we are um, looking for a lot of uh, you know a lot of people right now. But we're also finding a lot of people who are not happy where they are at. And you know we're so we're having a lot of conversations. It will require, I think, a more fluid job market than we currently have, and will require more connection mechanisms between people and and jobs. Um, so that's, I think, a missing part of of that, you know, of that of that of that world. But I guess my contrarian view a little bit is the great resignation. But I don't know if it's that if that's necessarily bad for either the employee or the employer to have more fluidity in the in the job market. Well, and I find interesting, right? So the the generational expo- things that occur as we start this off. So it's an example I think is really interesting. So. I wear, you know, three different hats and so quote unquote, three different jobs, right? You know, this podcast being one of them. Uh, My wife, uh, you know, she has a side hustle. The amount of people I know who have side hustles. And what's interesting is I remember this the other day, you know, my, my, my youngest or my oldest child, who's eight years old, was like, when I grow up, my main job is going to be this. And then my other job is going to be this. And so the, the modeling that we are all doing as a society of this idea of like, yeah, every you got a side hustle. You've got the, your point about everybody being an entrepreneur. And if he already at eight starts thinking about, I'm going to wear multiple hats and do these kinds of things and be an entrepreneur, whether he knows that word or not, it creates a really interesting of what is that going to mean in 20 years? That is, that is such a great point. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, I think the younger generation, that's how they're thinking about jobs anyway. Right. And so, you know, employers have, you know, torn up the marriage contract. And so employees now have rightfully said, you know, you know what, let's, let's make this a, you know, let's make these, you know, short-term romances. Right. And I think, I think that's, that's a, uh, you know, that that's ultimately whether we like it or not, how the world is going to, going to be. And I, I completely agree. You know, everyone has my, my wife just started as a sidekick, uh, you know, doing a, tra- you know, doing a travel agency on the side. It was a wonderful thing to keep her occupied in the evenings and, and on weekends. And I think w- what, what it does though, is it also, you know, and again, I think it's just all good developments. It, it forces employers to think about the value of an employee, not necessarily in terms of like, do they have their butts in the seat, right? Like, do they, you know, are they here? But in terms of what is what are they doing, you know, how are they creating value for a company? And, and what that does, this goes into, again, what we sort of teach with our 12-week mini MBA, right? It, it really forces every employee when they are at work and when they are getting paid to think about, well, what is the value that I'm creating here, right? Because, you know, employers now have to think about not like, how can I... Just the, the most amount of people with the most, you know, in, in the most amount of seats, right? Just to kind of have them. But really, everyone has to think about well, what is the value that they're creating at this moment for a company. Um, and then, you know, sometimes the way this works these days, you know, then side hustles become full-time gigs and vice versa. And I think it's a great development, but it is unsettling, I think, when you're not trained to to be ready for that. And I do think that's that's one of the things that I'm passionate about with ability and our invited MBA is like, we want to address that gap, right? We want people to really feel comfortable and understand what is business about, what what creates value for a business so that when you do get into these, these jobs, you have actually a, you know, a, a more 
nuanced understanding of what of what employers are looking for, right? Because I, I do think that's part of this new world order that we we are entering. But I, I love the I love the analogy. You know, my my eleven uh, year old is he wants to be a YouTuber, and he's like, "Well, it doesn't need to be my main job." <laughs> like that's what I want to do. There you go. I'm like all right. Yeah, it sounds like a good kid. One one of the things we've talked a lot about with folks in Austin is how interconnected these various industries are. And people who are in packaged goods talk to folks who are in the space kind of thing about issues that they face together. You're in a unique position because your company focuses on helping other companies succeed and thrive. So the question for, for you is, as, as Austin becomes more of an established and powerful ecosystem, how do you and how do the rest of the education industry, if you will, connect with other parts of that innovation landscape? Mm, that's a great, great question as well. And I actually, I, I sit on the advisory board of um, the School of Undergraduate Studies at UT, and that comes up quite a bit, right? You know, how, how does an ecosystem get created? And the, what, what always comes up, um, you know, in the context of Austin, um, uh, is that, you know, what, what really made Silicon Valley was Stanford, right? And, and when you think about, you know, there would be no Silicon Valley if, if there hadn't been, you know, Stanford and, you know, Xerox Park and this symbiotic relationship between, you know, academic research and, and industry. And the question that always comes up when, when I head over to the UT campus for, my, uh, for the advisory board meetings is how do we get there in Austin, right? How do we create that ecosystem? Um, and I and I have to say, I mean, so, so first of all, a lot of current Austin for anyone that's listening that's new to Austin, like a lot of current Austin is built on some of the same things, right? The reason why we've grown so exponentially is, you know, because in the '70s there was the, you know, the the was the MCC, the Austin Technology Incubator. I mean, so probably things people don't even know about anymore, right? But like there was this rich, rich collaboration, the IC Squared Institute, um, you know, all these things that, that, um, that were funded sometimes, you know, from the university, sometimes private, but, but that allowed for that collaboration to happen. Um, I do think there is a challenge now as we grow, that we grow so fast and so disorganized, if you will, that there aren't these central connection points. And, um, you know, especially in the post-COVID world, which we still don't know how that's going to look like, you know, how are we going to foster those connections? I don't know, but I know that we, if we want to have the sustained growth that I think many of us in Austin are excited about, we need to figure out what those connection points were. And when I came in you know, 2001, there was there were all these networks that that connected the university to um, to industry, and and there still are, you know. So, you know, Capital Factory is a great example. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that that connect that provide that connective tissue. But how we go about and, and how much we foster that connective tissue, I think will determine how, how fast we grow. You know, but I think it's exactly it's, it's it's dialogue and it's people. And I don't have any more um, insights into that than just you know, it, it ultimately boils down to people willing to make the effort, right, to, to, to go over to campus and to recruit the intern, right, and to talk to that, you know, brilliant professor. And, you know, we, we one of our core products, uh, one of our business leadership simulations, we commercialized out of UT. It was a, it was a 
simulation that was run at a professor, it was by a professor at the University of Texas. We approached and we're like, hey, this needs to be commercialized. We went through the Office of Technology Commercialization and now we have a multi-million dollar product line based on something that this professor did. Well, you're so right. It's always about the people. We always end our podcast with our central question. Bjorn, what's next, Austin? <laughs> my God, so much, right? Um, my my guess is, uh, uh, you know, repeating a little bit what I said earlier, in the post-COVID world, Austin's growth will not decelerate, but accelerate, mainly because people have more choices now around the world. And Austin is just simply a place of choice. And when you compare not just, you know, sort of this uh, intangible quality of vibe, you know, but, but you really compare also who is here versus who are the people that, you know, choose to make a living in, in Dallas or Houston and to name just a few of our competitors here in, 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 uh, in, in uh, Texas. There is a, a level of energy and excitement that has been a core of the city ever since I set foot here as I, when I came as an exchange student from Germany in 1990. And that is still here. I feel it all the time when I go to, you know, the, 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 the events that are starting to happen and, and, you know, now post COVID, you know, the Austin forum events, the, you know, kind of happy that Austin tech happy hour events. Um, I feel that there, those are the types of things that are, con are continuing to make Austin special. What, my fervent hope is that the, the thing that drove that energy, excitement, enthusiasm was a collaborative tone that was different, markedly different from any other city. And I lived in San Francisco, New York, Washington, DC, Boston, so and, and Hamburg, Germany, and in Amsterdam. So I, I have some comparisons. There's an, a, a collaborative vibe in the city that is absolutely unparalleled. Um, I've never seen it in any other city. Um, the willingness to help each other out, the willingness to approach, to um, ask for favors, to um, give favors. And if we can retain that spirit, we will grow not just in terms of number of people, which is always fun to just kind of see your city grow and have a better and more interesting skyline, I should say. But you, you will also grow to one of the more amazing cities in the, in the world. That, that would be my hope, and that would be the task, I think, for us for the next 20 years. Bjorn Billard, CEO of Ability, thank you so much for joining us on the Austin Next podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.